there a doctor in the house? Doctor, doctor, give me the news. I got a bad case of loving you. Doctor. 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 And doctor. It's time for Advanced Medicine Monday with Dr. Rashid Batar. I'm a doctor, not a bricklayer. I'm a doctor, not a mechanic. I'm a doctor, not a coal miner. The doctor is in. It's the Where's Waldo segment of the advanced medicine version of the Robert Scott Bell Show with Dr. Batar traveling around planet Earth, plugging into some new and old healing systems and methods. I want to get into that today, Dr. Batar, but I don't know what time zone you're on, but I'm glad you're on with me. Yeah, I'm about, uh, I'm about seven hours ahead of you. Good Lord. Good morning to you then, my friend. So, uh, yeah. it, listen, I just spoke at the uh, March Against Monsanto in Orlando. We had a big march and then an after party at a nice place, organic non-GMO restaurant. And as I was speaking about things, I was mentioning the fact that they're finding glyphosate from Monsanto in vaccines, the fact there's no such thing as a safe vaccine, and that I hadn't vaccinated my children. Now, for the most part, it was well-received. And then I find out afterwards there was a medical doctor in the audience and lest anybody feel a little nervous about that, he came up to me and said, you know what? I didn't vaccinate my kids either. So so what you're saying is he did not think it was necessary to put glyphosate in vaccines? He didn't think it was necessary to put vaccines in children. I'm telling you, things yeah. are changing. He was a medical doctor who doesn't vaccinate his own kids. Yeah, well, it's more and more like that. I mean, a lot of the guys that I talk to haven't vaccinated, and uh, but they do it. They keep that private to themselves. They don't want their hospital administrators or the practice management group uh, administrators to be aware of that because they know that it could potentially rub them the wrong way and it could also create other havoc for themselves and um, so they do it privately quietly and um don't want anybody else to know about it. Yeah, and I bring that up because as you're traveling around the world, you're, you know, you, Dr. Batar, of course, are aware and are exposed to all kinds of healing methodologies, whether conducted by allopathically trained physicians or not, that are, are never really covered ever, anywhere in the mainstream media, much less the fact that many doctors have already come to the conclusion that you and I have about these things, about these methods. And yet again, once again, the, if, you, if you're a follower of the mainstream media, you'll never hear these stories. Or if you do, you'll hear about it by uh, somehow uh, taking those doctors and calling them something other than doctors, in a sense. You know how they'll try to denigrate you if you have a different viewpoint. Right. Well, they have nothing else to, uh, st- nothing else to stand on. They have no other basis for what their um, science is, so they resort to name-calling, which is fine, which, you know, basically... <laughs> shows that there's nothing else you know what's that old thing sticks and stones may break my bones but names will never harm me (laughs) right but of course if the people are so sensitive to being uh, name called um you know that's a different issue altogether that's sometimes my son is calling those folks snowflakes now that's the big term if you can't handle little little uh adverse name calling not that we're calling names but uh the reality is we got to be tougher than that or else you're not going to (laughs) survive the things that are really harmful to you now there's that's true actually you Mm -hmm. know it's funny because in fox news um when i was interviewed i think it was when i this was back in 2007 2000 uh, yeah 2007 at the ACAM conference, uh, I gave a presentation on cancer, and I was interviewed by Fox San Diego, I guess it was, and um, they had had a story about someone, I think the American Academy of Pediatrics, and the, the chief of the American Academy of Pediatrics had been interviewed about his opinion about 
Nation, and it had to do with maybe, maybe it was before 2007, but it was when um, I had maybe it was when the the red the uh, Redskins cheerleader that I treated, which which one of the stories when I was oh yes the Desiree Jennings that's yeah a lot right. of, a lot of publicity on that a lot of name calling coming out of the mainstream media, but they I remember something about this they they, right. they actually referred to you in a certain way. How do you feel about that or something along those lines, right? That's exactly right, because the, the San Diego Fox correspondent who's interviewing asked me, he said, well, how do you respond to those doctors that refer to you as a, that say that you are charlatan and that, that you're practicing quackery? And I said, well, well, you know, it doesn't matter what you refer to it. As long as you distinguish me from the, the mainstream medical group, I'm happy with that, as long as you distinguish <laughs> me from them. And, it, it, you know, he didn't know what to say. He was kind of like uh, uh, looking at the camera. kind of like, Where do I go? That's that. right. No, I don't. Because you didn't want to be lumped together with the inadequacies and the dangerousness of the, of the lesser forms of so-called standard of care. I, and, you know, this is interesting because there's a natural news article that's, I think, a little bit controversial. Not that we shy away from controversy, but the headline reads, doctors should be paid flat salaries to eliminate financial conflicts of interest, according to medical ethicists. Now, on some level, you'd be going, oh, okay, that sounds reasonable. But, but does it really? Well, Robert, you know, we have on the show talked about how the uh, Eastern world, so certain places in China, certain villages in China, the incentive for the doctors is to keep patients healthy because they only get paid while the patient remains healthy. But as soon as the patient becomes ill, the doctor no longer gets paid. So it's a different um, motivation that the doctor has. They are rewarded for desired behavior, which in this case, which it should be in all cases, is to keep the patient healthy. But when the patient becomes unhealthy, when the patient becomes sick, it essentially means that the doctor has failed in their duty and therefore should not get remunerated. But look at... <laughs> it's not funny, our, but it's funny at the same time. <laughs> I, right, exactly, because our, our medicine, our modern way of medicine in the Western world is to incentivize the doctor based upon patient sickness. Right. You know what? And, and I think about this, Dr. Batar, the conflicts of interest clause in that statement saying this, we would solve it if we just paid flat salaries. It's like, no, you wouldn't, because the conflict of interest is that they're still only getting paid when the patients are coming in because they're sick. Imagine exactly. eliminating that conflict of interest to say, you know what, if, if you get me well and keep me well, that's when you're getting that's when you're profiting the most. Then the conflict of interest is not a conflict. It's a genuine interest that the patient and the doctor would both desire. Exactly. But what they're doing is by saying doctors go flat, first you're rewarding the patient being sick, and then you're limiting what the doctor's going to get. So you're actually now promoting mediocrity, and there's no um, reward for people to step outside of the box and actually do something that could benefit the patients. They have to follow the cookbook, and already the problem with medicine is it's too cookbook-oriented. Mm. It's too... Um, Take a take the diagnosis and stick a patient into a box at the diagnosis and then go that way. It's literally following a step-by-step cookbook, and the problem is people aren't boxes. Right. They're, they're not diagnoses. They're not. They can't fit into these boxes, and so you could end up having the same type of symptom, but it's a different pathology. But the way it works in modern medicine is that they would all be lump sum because it's all symptom-based. So if a person has let's say they have chest pain, then you're going to deal with a pleuritic chest pain, something to do with the lungs, the same as a cardiac chest pain, same as uh, a blunt trauma musculoskeletal chest pain. Versus, So the point is, again, there's no incentive, one, there's no incentive, 
to get people better already in our system. And by doing this, by now putting doctors in flat, you're actually adding insult to injury and worsening the system, as opposed to bettering it by going towards the, as we said, the, the far eastern uh, Chinese village type model scenario right. where the doctors will. Exactly. So, not, and, you know, know, the thing is, that, Dr. Batar, they're not painting by numbers in, in ancient China. Obviously, things have changed, and modern China has absorbed and adopted a lot of the Western allopathic mindset, so they're suffering similarly. On top of the massive pollution in China that's creating diseases of toxicity that before were very rare, just like it was anywhere, uh, but now has become more commonplace and chronic. But the idea here is it, you want to incentivize uh, doctors, you want excellence in medicine, how about promoting that concept? I mean, it's called wellness. I don't know if that does it justice. That's sort of like the, the, the catchphrase now, wellness pr- promotion. But it's certainly got to be a step above or beyond what is currently the allopathic medical model standard. Well, I agree with you. But to me, this isn't really even about medicine per se. It's about how society has allowed mediocrity to become the standard. So remember when we were at the autism conference in 2000 and what was it 14 i guess yeah 2014. Yeah, in fact i've been sharing like there's been some uh photos popping up of you me and super don from that three years ago when we were together there right in chicago mm-hmm. yeah so do you remember we were supposed to do like we did it we did a lecture together and then then i had a keynote i think on friday and then we were just like a workshop on sunday but the workshop were you, were you at the workshop? I don't remember. I don't you, think I think I had to broadcast that day. I might have popped in r- briefly. Okay. Well, the workshop, there were so many questions and so many, uh, so much interest in what was discussed during the main conference that I never got a chance to cover in the four-hour workshop what my actual plan was to cover in the four-hour workshop. And so we ended up, it was actually called Rewarding Desired Behavior, how to help with the parents with right. uh, modulating the child's behavior. Right. So we ended up doing a webinar a couple of weeks later, and that webinar, I don't know, we had we had over a thousand people that attended the webinar, and we recorded it, fortunately. And basically, what the subject that I want to do in the workshop that we ended up doing with the webinar is called rewarding desired behavior. Many times, parents would get thrown off, and they would think that a child's behavior had something to do with autism, whereas we would get the child better to a certain point. And then the child was well underwear to, to being neurotypic and would become neurotypic, but they would still have some behavioral issues. And it wasn't anything to do with autism, but the parents would think it was autism-related because the child had a development delay originally. And that becomes a challenge to not explain to parents. Because any child will fall into that category, whether they're autistic or not, it doesn't matter. Behavioral issues are totally something separate. And it's not just in children. It's in animals. It's in adults. It's in ourselves. And so I was trying to explain, which I think the webinar came across really well, because many parents from many geographical regions in the world, you know, transcending ethnic uh, boundaries and religious mm-hmm. backgrounds and everything, they all gravitated to this information because this information was talking about a rewarding desired behavior. Now, if you want a behavior out of a child, you reward it. If you if you reward an undesired behavior, a child picks up a book and throws it across the room, and you come up and say, oh, it's okay, it's okay, and then you give the child something to appease and to calm them down. You just rewarded that undesired behavior throwing the book. So you can't do that. It doesn't matter whether the child's autistic or neurotypic, or it doesn't, it doesn't matter anything. You're not rewarding a desired behavior. What you've done is you've rewarded an undesired behavior and reinforced that undesired behavior, thus promoting and propagating that behavior additionally than, than it already was. In other words, you're pushing and 
and helping to encourage that very sure. behavior that you try to make. But the thing so, is, pay, so this, paying doctors in a, in a situation where uh, they're rewarded for bad behavior is also, you know, kind of a similar scenario that the allopathic model is rewarded because it is in monopoly, and the more they push chemo drugs, for instance, the more profit that they get, and the more people they're harming. We're going to take a break here. That's why we do this on Advanced Medicine each and every week with Dr. Rashid Batar. We hit topics in ways that no other broadcast radio station or show does. And we're going to do it some more after this break. Stick with us. The Robert Scott Bell Show. Rocking the health world through the power of radio. It's the Robert Scott Bell Show. Dr. Batar, you brought up something that's probably as difficult as any for, for a, a parent of an autistic spectrum child or even a behavioral disorder child that when you assume it's because of uh, an injury, and maybe it was initially, uh, but as you bring them back to more neurotypical behaviors through detoxification, metal removal, there may be some behavior patterns that are not shifting altogether. And the question is, parents probably ask us, well, how do I know? whether it's because of the autism, quote-unquote, diagnosis or damage versus this is a behavior pattern that can now be broken through other means. Right, and the the point that I wanted to make was that it really has nothing to do with autism because you can take a neurotypic child and they'll have the same thing. That's one reason you have some children that are neurotypic that are very well-behaving people comment to the parents how well-behaved the children are. And then you've got other children that are also neurotypic but are just brats, and, and pair, people will comment to each other that, man, that kid was really spoiled brat. So it has nothing to do with autism. It's, again, because the parents rewarded desired behavior or undesired behavior. It's really the parents' fault. It's how they raise the child. So just like if you spoiled any of your kids, which I know your kids aren't spoiled, they're, they're great kids, but you set certain parameters in place and you rewarded certain behaviors that you wanted to see in them, you, that you desired, and so you rewarded those behaviors. But when they don't do what's desired, you, you, I'm not saying you, you know, believe in punishment, but you abstain. I, think that's how I, do. I abstain from giving them any kind of reward. If my son acts up, mm-hmm. well, I check out. Okay, I'm going to ignore you until you give me the desired behavior. And and I'll tell him I love you, but I'm not going to tolerate that behavior. He, he's got to go in the corner, whatever it is. And he realizes that if I am rude, then dad is going to not play with me. So I want dad to play with me. So that means I need to be um, polite and and respectful and not be rude. And so this is, regardless of autism or non-autism, and here we're talking about doctors now and rewarding their desired behavior. But notice that I had said, this is actually, uh, we had to go to break. My point that I want to make was that mm-hmm. we actually have the same problem, not just in medicine, we have this problem in society. You know, we remember that um, when we were talking about the Second Amendment with the gun rights, and we talked about how uh, we, it's important that because of the base of the forefathers and, and what they had seen as coming, coming. I mean, it's amazing when you read the Constitution, how every, how every aspect we're dealing with today, the forefathers knew about it. So the Second Amendment, the right to bear arms, is something that we need to protect. Yet, those that say that we should not uh, have weapons or yes. allowed to carry a firearm, yeah, so they're basically talking about that this has been a firearms cause, this problem, that problem, and dangerous, et cetera, et cetera. And then you had talked about, and I don't know, maybe you did or I did, I can't remember who brought it up, but we said something about spoons should also be illegal because spoons 
cause people to be fat. And we laughed about that, right? Well, yes. this is, again, another type of a scenario. It's, it's a problem with society that we in society tend to reward, or the hierarchy in society tends to reward mediocrity. Um, I mean, you can look at social welfare. The social welfare was set up. And again, I know I'm treading thin line here, Robert. I know <laughs> you go for it, Dr. Bittar. You're halfway around the world. What are we well, going to do? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, social welfare, when it was put in place um, back in the 1940s, 1950s, uh, only one out of five people that were eligible would take it because it was socially unacceptable to do that. It wasn't something that people were proud of doing. And, and now it's almost like an expectation. Well, it's institutionalized. It. It's been uh, basically exactly. engineered into the DNA of Americans over a number of generations. And this is how socialism happens as well, in that you, you, you feed, uh, for instance, the animals, give them some free food. They keep coming to the same spot. And then you put one side of the fence up. They still keep coming. You put two sides of the fence up. They keep coming. The third side's up. Four sides up with the gate open. They come in. Then you close the gate. It's sort of like the behavior is just becomes unconscious and expected, and by, and by that time it's too late. You got them; they're locked in; they're they're imprisoned. And and, what, and the way they got them into that prison was by rewarding the desired behavior, i.e., coming in compliance. You get fed; that's a reward. The feeding is a reward. Yep. And they keep on coming in. You keep on rewarding them with food, and you build up the fence around them. And before they know it, they don't even realize. Exactly. And to that so point, is- Doctor Batar, I apologize. We're all, this goes so fast when we're together. We're almost up on another break here. Uh, but that's what happened as well in the allopathic medical monopoly. It wasn't always this way. It was a, there was a time where you went to a doctor. That doctor was responsible to you. The government didn't interfere in that relationship. And there was innovation in healing. There were holistic ways to heal. There was detoxification. Sure, there was allopathic medicine too. But it all competed on equal footing. And then you were allowed to make the choice in the doctors had to innovate to meet their patient clientele or customers if you want to look at it that way we got lots more healing to go on the robert scott bell show advanced medicine all the way around the world always great discussions with dr rasha batar check him out at dr batar d-r-b-u-t-t-a-r.com if you ever miss one of these shows you can go to medicalrewind.com. medicalrewind.com special place hundreds hundreds now thousands of hours available to you we'll be right back the robert scott bell show world to the power of radio it's the robert scott bell show around the world people listen to the robert scott bell show in advanced medicine and we appreciate you wherever you are on planet earth we never know where dr batar is because he travels a lot too right now he's halfway around the world in ukraine interestingly enough and last hour i covered briefly about scientists identifying twenty-eight thousand medicinal plants that treat ailments from cancer to diabetes and it's kind of like that if you if you think your country is the only country that knows how to do anything you, you you've lost before you begin there's so much diversity on this planet and so many ways to promote healing you're out there experiencing it teaching it and learning all at the same time yeah exactly robert it's uh we we actually are right now i'm i'm in um the ukraine as you mentioned and it's interesting to where this part of the ukraine that i'm in is um there's a city called kiev and i'm not in kiev i'm in a in, in a city that's actually pretty small but um, in Kiev, it's, I, I didn't realize this, but it's actually the largest, I'm sorry, excuse me, not the largest, the oldest city in 
USSR before the before the Iron Curtain fell, it was considered uh, it's the oldest city. I thought Moscow was the oldest, or Leningrad, or St. Petersburg. Actually, those are considered young cities as compared to Kiev. Kiev is considered to be the oldest city in the former in the former Soviet Union. Now, of course, now it's part of Ukraine, so it's not part of the Soviet Union. This is where some of the people um, may realize about the conflict right now. The war is going on, and I'm not technically in a war zone or anything like that, but I came here because of some of the innovations in medicine that have been done in this part of the world, and specifically looking at... Um, Are you specifically, the use, from what I understood when we were talking off the air, about water-based healing therapies always reminds me of uh, Dr. Batman Gellage, although there are so many ways beyond just drinking water that water can be a carrier of information and minerals and healing. If I'm not mistaken, I think you said the term is balneotherapy that they're working on over there. Right. Balneology is how they refer to it, but think in balneotherapy, and it's the use of water or bathing in certain types of water from a, for a therapeutic basis. And I've actually been here maybe four or five days. I've got another couple more days left and tried three different places in the Ukraine so far, all with different types of water with different mineral content. And one was actually, I thought about you when I was in there, because you're a very big proponent of silica, and it was, a, it was very high in boric acid and silica. Mm. Another one is very high in sulfur, and you can actually smell the sulfur. It's, it's actually very strong overpowering, but then when you drink it, yeah. it's, you don't taste it at all. It's naturally carbonated. and Anyway, so using these different types of techniques and, and having, not only bathing the water or drinking the water, but they do other things with the water. For example, they have contrast baths, where you cold to warm to cold to warm, um, you know they use hydro massage in conjunction with the special type of water, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And it's it's not only this isn't like a small little avant-garde type thing, you know, that's unique. It's in this part of the world, it's very popular. In fact, one of the places that I'm getting this is really designed for post-surgical recovery. So this is accepted in their mainstream, and then the doctors will send their patients to these places post-surgical recovery. Uh, kind of like a convalescent and rehab type thing right. to help people recover after the, the, the detriments from the surgery or, or chemo or whatever else. And then right down the street, and this is a small town. We're in a town, we're actually in a town that's 15 minutes away that's about 70,000 people. And this town itself is 150 people, 150 houses in this little village. But they've got two facilities, huge facilities, within um, a kilometer of each other, half a kilometer of each other, about a third of a mile from each other. And they're both really busy. So the point is that traditionally, when I say traditionally, I'm saying going back about 800, 900 years, at least to my knowledge, and could be further, this culture has depended upon people coming um, and using water as a therapy, and they understand how important this is. And people with crippling arthritis will come in here, and for five, seven, ten days, they'll be here sometimes up to three, four weeks, and within a five, six, seven days, their arthritis will have improved. Their pain will have reduced. Their range of motion will have increased. Um, so th- their association with water uh, creating a health situation, not a health situation, but more like a, a situation where health is without any um, – it's almost like it's down the path, and there's only one destination that's being healthier by coming in and doing this water therapy. So it's, it's accepted, and it's mainstream, and people come here all the time. It, it would be kind of like with people in the U.S. going for homeopathy 
our thought process would be like they're going to homeopathy and that's unusual. No, it's like them going to the regular doctor mm. for their you know, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory for their arthritis. It's right. that mainstream here. Well, this kind of strengthens this article that our friend uh, Sayer G has from Green Med Info called Why Pharmaceuticals Are Really the Alternative Medicine. <laughs> you know, you're showing it right there. Yeah, that's exactly right. In fact, you know what's interesting that I found out? Because this country, because the Ukraine has been in conflict for so many years, you know, you, you, they're, they're, they're male to female ratios, one to five. So the five females for every one male, because they've had so many men that have died in all the different conflicts, all the way from World War One, World War Two, coming up into modern times. You, you know, you've got the Afghan um, uh, conflict when Russia was uh, fighting Afghanistan. Many of the people are recruited constantly in, in the military. In fact, I met two people here that sent their kids to Europe or to the U.S. just to prevent them from being drafted into one of the wow. war situations. So this society has been under a chronic uh, state of stress just because of them having to constantly fight the, the oppression that they're dealing with and in the war situation. So when you're talking about alternatives, their, their regulatory system is so different, they don't see these, what we would call non-conventional therapies, as non-conventional. Their mainstream doctors are actually involved with these therapies. So their thought process is totally different. They don't see it as mainstream and alternative. They see it as anything that works. They don't have the oppression. Notice I'm talking about a former communist country, or, well, I guess still considered a communist country, I'm talking about there's no oppression in this communist country for the way medicine is practiced, whereas in our country, there is oppression. Oh, there is ty- a, there's tyranny. Yeah, absolute tyranny exactly. in America against uh, holistic health and healing, whether it's done by doctors or holistically uh, trained homeopaths, naturopaths, etc. Uh, and and of course, what you also mentioned is that the uh, next uh, uh, version of the of the Bachelor is going to have to be held in Ukraine because there's so many women to men ratio. They're just uh, probably all looking for husbands. <laughs> well, that that is true. But the thing is that from a medical standpoint, it's interesting to see when the hierarchy is not pushing an agenda, hmm. i.e. our government and our medical, the powers that be, aren't pushing their agenda. What happens? And here's a perfect example of a society where that agenda isn't being pushed, and doctors are actually free to, because there's no oppression of the doctors, uh, of manipulating the way that they practice medicine and, and having them follow the cookbook methodology, the doctors are truly trying to get their patients better. And so they rely on everything from a traditional, non-traditional, in their world, they don't see this as traditional, non-traditional. They just see it as something that really works because it's old and it's around and something new that we can try using now. Yeah, effective. Uh, so in addition to not being a pharmaceutical uh, a mandate kind of culture, uh, we also see the healing taking place, like you said, with this, this new therapy. I hadn't heard it, the term. I've heard of the therapy before, uh, uh, promoting healing instead of pharmaceutical drugs. Now, there's another article that came out in the mainstream news about liver damage from supplements on the rise. I, I would argue that if you're taking a, a supplement that causes liver damage, it's not a supplement that should ever be taken because, uh, you know, obviously it's toxic at a low level, but you can increase it to the point where it impacts your main organ of detoxification. That's got to be a bad starting place. Well, I think it also might be that the supplement itself, what they're marketing is actually going to be beneficial but the way it was manufactured and the excipients added to it and the mm. preservatives and when it was harvested, et cetera, et cetera, it makes it toxic and causes damage to the liver. I think we've talked about lipoic acid um, yes. before mm-hmm. when the 
course of lipoic acid uh, is very, very dangerous, I guess is the only way to put it, versus the Italian source. And one, a person sees that the benefit, you can actually rebuild livers with this. Again, I'm not making a claim here. I'm just saying that this is what has been shown already. Right. But if you take the wrong lipoic acid, it can be very toxic to the substance. So I don't know whether it would really be that the supplements are toxic versus a company that's making, cutting uh, some kind of, um, uh, taking a shortcut in manufacturing process or adding some ingredients to the preservative or something else that causes the toxicity. I, sure. I think that would probably be... Yeah, more often than more not, I mean, there's there's also the uh, issue of, of those who are in the bodybuilding supplement industry. And, of course, those folks have not really concerned themselves with what is of nature and what is not. And very often they could be adulterating uh, synthetics from China, for instance, and adding them in. Uh, the sources of protein could be radically different. Uh, and it's true that if you if you in, in, in include excess quantities of protein in a body that can't utilize that protein to prop, properly, you will have metabolic waste, not even uh, synthetic waste at that point. So there are concerns, but of course, the way they paint it with a broad brushstroke, they're trying to indicate to us that, uh, that that these things may be as dangerous or more dangerous than the drugs. And I, I would tend to disagree unless the supplements are, in fact, drugs. Right, right. And I don't know which way they were trying to direct it. I kind of looked at it as that, there's supplements that are being manufactured with poor quality, and that's increasing it. But if they are trying to paint it with a broad spectrum stroke to make it that the, you know supplements are on the rise, causing liver problems, then it would be similar to when oncologists say that you shouldn't take antioxidants because they're not healthy for you. Well, they are healthy for you, but they are counteracting counteracting the chemotherapeutics that are being used. And so their whole thought process is saying that well, the chemotherapy is high in pro-oxidation, and so taking an antioxidant you are canceling out what the benefit of the chemotherapy theoretically is, but that's ludicrous because the antioxidants are protecting you from the side effects of the chemotherapy. And so, again, you could say that antioxidants are anti-chemotherapy, which is what they're trying to say. So that's the reason a patient shouldn't take an antioxidant with chemotherapy because it um, reduces the effectiveness of the chemotherapy. Again, you know, depending on how they spin it, the bottom line is antioxidants are going to benefit you. The body needs antioxidants because we are, in a, we are an oxidative type of metabolism, and without antioxidants in our system, we would just age much more rapidly than we do. The body has certain systems in place to prevent that oxidative process or that oxidative injury from, from affecting us. So, you know, it's the same type of thing, I think, with the supplements causing the liver problem. That They're probably painting it that way. Do you agree with that? Or yeah, I, I, they're else? focusing on one uh, narrow band of supplements particularly, and this has always been a problem area, and I, we don't hide from that. We, we pointed out that people that are into a bodybuilding that are trying to, to kind of cheat nature by using steroids but not steroids, this has always been a pharmaceutical side of the natural, so-called natural supplement category, which isn't really natural. Listen, we got to take a break. We're going to be back to wrap up advanced medicine. we got some uh, advice from pediatricians. Is it good advice? We'll check in with Dr. Batar on that and a new Ebola outbreak. Is it for real or another hoax? Live around the world, the Robert Scott Bell Show. Remember, if you ever miss an advanced medicine segment or hour, you can go to medicalrewind.com. Also available on our syndicator and broadcast radio. That's GCN, GCNlive.com, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn. 
And we have UK Health Radio in England and SoundCloud, which you can find at robertscottbell.com. Of course, uh, for those of you who are new to the show, Dr. Batar wrote the international best-selling book. It translated in many languages at this point. It's called The Nine Steps to Keep the Doctor Away. It's a keeper. Keep reading it. You read it again. Send it to your friends. It's going to still benefit them even to this day. Now, Dr. Batar, i got to ask you, because uh, you know we rail on the docs that seemingly uh, have no problem injecting toxic poisons into little defenseless babies in the guise of vaccines, and... I'm just not so sure I'm ready to give them all the props in the world for saying that no fruit juice for kids under one is a good idea. Maybe that's true, but man, oh man, does that counteract the, the toxic injections they're given? Yeah, it's um, pretty interesting, the contradiction there, isn't it? Um, I, I, I think it's a great advice that kids shouldn't get sugar because they don't need it. It's natural fruit to find, but you get the regular processed Uses that they refortify with vitamins. You know why refortify when you can take it naturally? Just mm-hmm. take the piece of fruit and juice it, or or give them the piece of fruit. But they take the synthetic um, additives like mm-hmm. the uh, all the different things that they refortify juice with. They put high fructose corn syrup in it and they give it to children. And and trying to keep children from not getting that stuff in the first year of life, I think it's great. I think they should never get it. But then look at the contradiction. But so okay to put a poison, like a vaccine that has ethylmercury and formaldehyde and nickel and tin and other DNA addicts, et cetera, et cetera, into their body when their immune system isn't developed in the first day on the planet. So, you know, really ridiculous contradictions if you think about it. Yeah, and that's why I think it's important to call them out on it rather than pat them on the back. It's kind of like the doctors that say, hey, you know what? We're reducing antibiotics or we're trying because of antibiotic-resistant bacteria that, that we were responsible for creating by overusing and abusing those things, for instance. It's like, great, I'm glad that you finally recognize it's a problem and are doing something about it, but don't expect a medal for that. You should have figured that out pretty soon because it, it was in the medical literature pretty early on as well, as is the ridiculous uh, claim that in general, these toxic poisons is somehow helpful for the immune system. Now, if we talk about immunity, we can go to Africa, and it looks like they're trying to drum up a, a fear of a new Ebola outbreak. We've covered this many times, including selenium deficiencies in the soil and, and them manifesting lack of sewage, sanitation, hygiene, nutrition, etc., and the fact that the tests for Ebola, whether they be antibody or PCR, are really not adequate to identify one specific disease actually happening right now, other than they see some strange, scary symptoms happening, but not related to anything in environmental right and i think the propagation of fear with the movies like i think there was a movie called ebola wasn't there like well it, the it, there was really out, outbreak and there were other ones over the years and made for tv movies now and it's always about the next scary plague it's going to be the influenza of 1980 spanish influenza and of course it, it those arguments even though there were people that die and did die and, and do die from diseases they still negate the role of the environment, the impact on nutritional deficiency and toxic burdens, and, and that's, that's just plain wrong. That's uh, you know, the half-truth becoming a whole lie. Yeah, exactly. And I think that this is, again, the fear-mongering that is, from a pattern standpoint, this, uh, their modus operandi, this is how they operate. And we've also talked about how the Centers for Disease Control, when they talk about these things, they never talk about the toxicity component. They only talk about the infectious component, whatever that is, bacteria, virus, mm-hmm. whatever the new player of the day is, um, they never talk about the, the toxicology team. So the infectious disease team gets all the glory. The poor toxicologists get nothing. <laughs> and that's really where the problem is. Like you said, the sanitation issues, the exposure issues, the chemical and metal um, being being released into the environment, people becoming exposed to it. Nobody ever talks about that. And yet that's really where the problem lies. Well, and that's why. It comes when back you, to Bruce Lipton. Comes back to what, Dr. Bruce, 
I was just going to say, it comes back to Bruce Lipton's work, where yes. it's not the genetic issue, it's the environmental expression, uh, the, how the gene expresses itself based upon environmental triggers. Right. That's what really is what causes the disease issue, and, and they don't look at that. They don't look at the environmental aspect. Well, exactly, because there's not a pharmaceutical cure for the environment. <laughs> there's only a pharmaceutical uh, inflow that, uh, unfortunately, upregulates toxicity, if that's a way to say it. Exactly, exactly. Exactly. So that's why we uh, promote detoxification here as a, a cornerstone, and Dr. Batar wrote about it once again. You read about the nine steps to keep the doctor away, and you'll understand that that's a key, one of the cornerstones in terms of the steps to uh, recover. Yeah, the, the systemic detoxification, getting the whole system detoxified. And Robert, you and I both know that the word detoxification is a cheap word because so many people <laughs> yeah. use it, but they don't really understand what that means. And so it's effective detoxification. That's a key operative word. Hey, Dr. Batar, we're out of yeah. time, man. You're halfway around the world. You need to get some rest before morning, like in an hour from now for you. So I appreciate you uh, staying up late for us. Absolutely, Robert. Absolutely. Enjoyed it like always. So I thought it would be good to do the show live from uh, the Ukraine. Absolutely. Well done, my friend. And you are living proof that the power to heal is yours. The Robert Scott Bell Show.